0: All right, so as you know, last week, we did about half the movie, maybe not quite half the movie, but close to half the movie, The Silver Chair. We're gonna talk about it for a couple, three weeks, whatever it takes us to get through up to that point. Then we're gonna watch the second half together uh, again, just so your mind stays fresh enough, because otherwise, by the time you get there, you're like, what happened? And I don't remember this, but in the past, we have not watched it till the end, but I think it's very helpful to see it in the beginning if you don't know it. So, when you first start in the movie, you meet two main characters, and they are... Jill. Jill. Jill, Jill who? Pole. Jill Pole. And... Eustace. 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 Yes, or useless, <laughs> some people call them all Alright? And Eustace, we've met in other in another book, okay? In the a previous book, Eustace is the nastiest man, right? The the nastiest little boy. He was your that was your favorite one? Yes? The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, right? So Eustace gets cast out into the ocean with his two cousins who have already been to Narnia, and they end up being right near the ship. The Don Shredder, and Eustace is taken on board with them to their journey. Eustace has a change because Eustace is a nasty, selfish little guy. He ends up along the way fighting Reepicheep, right? Because Reepicheep really likes him, but wants him—he wants him to know that he needs to change. Eustace finds himself in a place where he has the treasure of a dragon, okay? And that treasure of a dragon is where he begins to be very greedy about things. And it's all about himself. It always has been. And when he puts the bracelet of this particular dragon on, a gold bracelet, he all of a sudden, not realizing it, becomes a dragon, okay? The meaning of the dragon, though, is just that he is reflecting now in his creature who he actually has been acting like. He's been acting like a dragon. Nasty, scaly, gnarly, nobody wants to be around him, okay? And that is exactly what he is. He is the dragon. You right in agree. And that's why Alright. Let me just turn this off here. So he becomes the dragon, and then he meets Aslan. Okay? And the dragon, when he meets Aslan, what happens to him? He oh, that. But how? He scratches his skin He scratches his skin off. Why? It's like being reborn again in Christ. Well, okay, and what does it represent? Yes, he's being reborn again, so he meets Aslan, which is what we find when anybody meets Aslan, everybody has a little different meeting with him. It's not the same. Everybody's is a little different. But when he meets Aslan, he's a dragon, and he comes up. And he digs his claws in and scratches off the scales because he wants to be a boy again. Right? What do the scales represent? That's the question. And he says, it hurt, but it was kind of a good hurt. He had to change, right. He had to change his ways. And that's what's important in this book. He had to change his ways, and it said he dug in and dug off the scales of him. And we will find out that because of that, in his world, he changes. He becomes somebody different. And this is where Jill Pohl has watched him. Jill Pole goes to school with him, and that's where we start out, right? Jill Pole and Eustace are in a school, and Jill has known Eustace for a couple of years and basically Eustace is a nasty, nasty boy and everybody hates him. And then he goes away one summer and that's the summer he ends up going to Narnia with his cousins. Gets the dragon, scales ripped off of him, which is the changes and changes are difficult and they even hurt. But no one wants the scales on them, right? It's very clear to see. You're a dragon. You're nasty to see. The last person to recognize he was a dragon was himself. That's true about most of us in humankind. We don't see our own scales, our own sin, all right? It's a brilliant way to look at it. So Eustace becomes a different boy, not perfect, not a perfect boy, but a different boy. He is being worked on by Aslan, all right? So, when they get to the school, when they're at the school, they make some comments first, and it was a little hard if you weren't listening for them, and I sat and took notes while I was doing it, and went back and confirmed in the book. Talks a little more in the book even about this, but the setting of the school was they were doing something to her. To Jill. Why was she running away? They were bullying her left hand. Their Jill, pull, pull, pull. Right. They were bullying her. Bullying her. And she makes a mention when Eustace joins her. And she says, this is a school that's supposed to have tolerance and respect. Now in the book, they go into a little more detail about what that really is supposed to mean. But here's the thing, is there tolerance and is there respect? No. And here's the question, why not? Isn't it the rule? Kids don't always follow the rules. But the majority of the school isn't like that. They, they don't follow the rules. But that's supposed to be the way it's supposed to go. There's a verse, I want you to turn to Romans chapter one. We're going to be doing a few different verses, little bits here and there. Romans chapter 1, verse number 21. So you are in the New Testament after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse number 21 and 22, please. And this talks about the way humans work. Without God. This is, excuse me, the way humans work without God. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. So go ahead, Natalia, read 21, please. They knew God, but they didn't honor him as God. They didn't thank him for think- thinking, they're thinking became worthless. Their foolish hearts became dark. Professing themselves to be wise, they became foolish. Alright, so humankind, when they turn away from God, it says basically the light inside of them grows dark. And what do they say that they are? When they turn away from God, they say, I'm wise. Without God. I don't need God, I'm not thankful to God for anything, I don't really care, I'm wise enough on my own to do everything I need to do. In fact, I'm probably better off without God. And that is the way people approach things. But in that second verse, what did it say? When you say you are wise without God, what are you? You're You're a fool. You're not wise. If you think you have wisdom without God, you are foolish. Now, I want to just look at this for a moment and see what we are talking about. 2 Corinthians, a couple books in further into the New Testament. 2 Corinthians, chapter number 3, verse number 17. We have looked at this verse before, but I want to know... One thing, okay, one thing that we profess as humans, and Americans especially, Chapter chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, verse number 17, please. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Alright, so where God's spirit is, there is liberty. We use that word often. Talking about our country. What does it mean? Freedom. So if God's spirit has to be there to create real freedom, then freedom or liberty was God's idea. All right? So that's one of God's ideas. Let's put this down. One of God's ideas is freedom. God's ideas. Now, is that something that people value in this country? Absolutely. And all around the world, people value freedoms that they have. Not everybody has freedoms. But if you even know about freedom, it's because God created it. God understands it. It is available through God. It is a godly attribute. Okay, Luke chapter 6, verse number 31. Skip back there. Luke chapter 6 verse number 31 And as ye would that men should do to you do ye also to them likewise What does that mean? If they do it to you you can do it back No, that's not what it means. Read it again. It's it's in older English, so it's a little harder. Um. As ye would do, as ye would that men should do to you. As you would, as, or if, ye as you would want other do to do to you, do ye also to them. Less do than. you to them. So that means treat others the way, the way you want to be treated. And that is what we call the, the, golden the golden rule, right? The golden rule, or treat others the way you want to be treated. Look in your Bible. Do you have red letters on that? Yes. Guess who said it first? Jesus. Jesus. Oh, imagine that. Because the idea of... What is this also called? The golden rule. If you treat others the way you want to be treated, what is another word for that? The right thing to do. The right thing to do. Respect. Oh. Excellent. Respect. Because... Really, isn't that treating people with respect when you put yourselves in their shoes, whether they're doing, someday when you do a job, and maybe you'll be the leader of some great organization or something, but when there's a guy who has to pick up papers on the street or uh, shovel up elephant poop, I don't know, whatever, for you in your organization, that's an important thing. And to be able to say, you know what? If I was doing that job, I'd want to be treated this way. So I'm going to treat him that way. That's respect. You respect those people. When you do that, truly, people bring back and give back respect to you. Okay? They do that honestly. And they really start to care about each other. Here's the thing. That's not man's idea. That's God's idea right? God said it. Jesus himself said it. Another one of God's ideas. Imagine that. And so let's look let's move on. One more thing. Galatians, Galatians. So that's after Romans and after Corinthians. First and second Corinthians, Galatians. and then you're going to get to Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, okay? Galatians chapter three. Verse number 28. We're going to read it and we're going to discuss this a little bit. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 28. We'll come back to you. Natalia, you got it? There is no Jew or Gentile. There is no slave or free person. There is no male or female. That's because you are all one in Christ Jesus. All right this is an interesting verse and Paul is saying something there's no male or female there's no there's no men or women there's no slave or free people in other words there's no worker leader there's no anything that okay there is no Jew or Greek in other words there is no, you're part of the privileged group, the Jewish people who God chose you as a nation, or you're part of everybody else. He says, when God looks at you as a child of God, he does not see you as a male, as a female, as a slave, as a president or a king. He does not see you as a Jewish or Greek, or English, or French, or Norwegian. He does not see you as those people. He looks at you as a soul whom he loves. He looks beyond status and position. He doesn't care about status and position. That's the way God views us individually. He looks on each of us as love. And he loves each one of us. So, That is the first step in what they now call, what, colorblindness, right? You ever heard of colorblind, being colorblind? Well, I don't mean physical colorblind. I mean, (laughs) I mean not picking people out because of their race or because of male or female or because of anything. You pick them out. And the mouth was and also colorblind. Okay, there you go. So good. So, in other words, it is unity, which means we are all together, or tolerance, That those words, okay, which means we do not treat others differently because of... Race. race gender, gender. Literally. position it doesn't matter and that is God's idea not man's idea right so here is this school that says well we are going to be respectful and tolerant and yet what how do they treat Jill pole because her last name's pole ah pole 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 because you cannot legislate out of people sin. In other words, you can't say, I made a rule for you to stop. So you have to. Because that's all that mankind can do. They've said, well, we've set the rules and you'll have to follow them. We said you have to be respectful. We said you have to be tolerant. And here's our rules and how you're going to do it. And then the other kids just teaser. They don't care. Because what they don't understand about mankind is that sinful nature inside of mankind doesn't allow for tolerance and unity and respect and freedom. They do the opposite of all those things. Sinful nature in mankind says, I'm going to enslave you and use you for my purposes. absolutely it is and yet that's the way mankind has treated everybody every single society almost in the entire world has had slaves from the beginning okay and you could say well we don't have slaves today if you read in *Mice and men you would see that there was this guy called len who sadly got shot back, yep. the, back the head and didn't see like color or anything like race. and that's true Now, there there have been slaves because mankind, whether we hide it behind the scenes or we put it right out in the laws and say this is what we're doing, mankind is inherently evil. They have a sinful nature when they grow up. They are born that way. I am and everybody is. And there is only one way to change that, and that is to approach God. That's the only way that the ideas of freedom, and respect, and unity, and tolerance come from anywhere at all. And when people sat down to write our documents of our founding fathers, they did not come up with these ideas and say, well, you should have life, and liberty, and the pursuit of happiness." Those things, those ideas are God's. And that's why they said that these rights are endowed or given to you by your creator. That's why they said it. Because they understood it came from God. It doesn't come from mankind. Mankind takes and abuses other mankind. That's the nature of sin. Okay? We use people for our best. Whether it's in school picking on other people. We have no tolerance. We have no unity. You're not like me and I don't like you i don't have to like you and i'm gonna mean things to you because i can it makes me feel better about me okay and that is the way people don't say it out loud but that's why people do it okay so understanding this school that they go to is there's a comment on this and they say well this school is bullying her and yet mankind says yeah we got it all wrapped up this is how we're gonna do it we're gonna do this And if you were to read in the book, it actually says, we might hit that somewhere along the line. It actually says, well, in this school, we don't think you should use the Bible, okay? I think we actually are gonna hit that because we'd like you to leave that alone. We got better ideas. And in the end, they're saying, well, we need tolerance and respect, which were ideas that came from God in the first place, right? And if you don't know that, you're not thanking God Properly, and you're not giving God the credit properly and professing yourselves to be wise, you become fools. You don't understand where it comes from. Okay, so Jill is being picked on. She is has a conversation with Eustace. And what is her conversation about? Well. She literally said, Eustace, you're different. Like you used to be exactly like them. Absolutely, you used to be like them. And what did he say, but I'm not now. And she says, you're right, you're not. First, Peter, chapter 3, verse number 15. This is an important one for you to know. Because Eustace, in one simple sentence, did something. 1 Peter. So that's almost at the end of the book of Revelation. Almost at the very, very end. Just back a couple of very small books. You go to Revelation. You turn back a few pages. You'll be in the verse in the book of First Peter. There's a Second Peter, and there's a First, Second, and Third John after it. Yeah. Chapter three. Okay. You there, mm-hmm. Felicia? Go ahead and read verse fifteen, please. Books in. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that ask, asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. All right. This says, make sure you are ready always to what? Do what? To give an answer. To give an answer. Mm-hmm. An answer of what, why? What are you answering for? Yeah. Nope. Read it in the verse there. The questions that they ask you about your hope. What chapter? Are we yeah. In? Chapter three, verse number
1: fifteen of
0: First oh. First you Peter. Read it again. Go ahead. Yep. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So what are they asking about? Why, Why, a for your hope? Why do you have hope? What makes you different? And what's, what are you supposed to do when they ask you that question? Give an answer. Be ready to give an answer. And so what does Eustace do? Now she says, and she challenged him and said, used to be just like that. And his answer was, You're right. But I'm not now. The very best thing you have as an answer to who what, why the hope is in you, why you believe in Christ, why you believe in God in your heart, the very best answer is, it's made me different. It's your personal experience with God. And if you have a personal experience with God, and you have changed, and you have become different, and when you talk with people, you're able to say, I don't think that way about people. Or I like to treat people with respect. Or I like to treat people with, with unity. I don't look at people like that. Or I like to make sure people's freedoms are so important to them. All right? These are godly things, and I'm not taking credit for them. God gave them to me. So I want to tell you about them. That's how you give an answer. So Eustace, in just having changed... And when she brought it up, it was just one quick little sentence. He said, I used to, but I'm not now. And her answer was, you're right. You're not. And that started a seed. At that moment, when he was ready for an answer, he planted a seed right in the jill pole. At that moment. And then they begin to have a discussion. This is the interesting discussion. I'm going to read a little bit in in the book here about their discussion. Yes, but this is... Oh, uh, so this is afterwards. Um, she says, I'm not sure I can really trust you. And he says, well, I need to know that I can trust you because this secret is, you know... Because she, she says, why have you changed? This is a strange one. Something weird happened to me, and it's really weird, and you wouldn't believe what, what it was. Can I trust you with it? She says, well, I, I think. And he says, yes, but this is a really terrific secret. Paul, I say, are you good at believing things? I mean, things that everyone here at this school would laugh at. I've never had the chance, said Jill, but I think I would be. Could you believe me if I said I'd been right out of the world? Outside this world! Last... Holes, I'm not sure what that means. I wouldn't know what you mean. Well, don't let's bother about worlds then. Supposing I told you i had been in a place where animals can talk And where there are are, uh, enchantments and dragons. He knows about them. And, well, all the sorts of things you have in fairy tales. Scrub felt terribly awkward as he said this and got red in the face. Now, here he is, giving his answer, telling what he really, he believes. Because he's been there and experienced it. And here he is, putting it out for this girl to either say, I don't care. That's witnessing because it is gonna sound strange to people who have never seen it. Now, you may not tell about dragons, okay? But you're gonna tell about experience with God changing you. Who? what are you talking about changing you? Changing you from what? A kid? Kids are innocent. That's what somebody might say. Eh, not so much, all right? How did you get there, said Jill. She also felt curiously shy. The only way you can, by magic, said Eustace, almost in a whisper. I was with two cousins of mine. We were just whisked away. They'd been there before, and now that they were talking in whispers, Jill somehow felt it easier to believe. Then suddenly a horrible suspicion came over her, and she said, so fiercely for that moment she looked like a tigress if i find you've been pulling my leg i'll never speak to you again never 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 i'm not said eustace i swear i'm not i swear by by everything when i was at school one would have said i swear by the bible but bibles were not encouraged at the experiment house which is what this this is called the school All right. So here's his chance to witness and he talks to her and tells her and he really lays it out for her. It's going to be weird. It's going to be strange. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to think it's weird. There's talking animals there. Right. And dragons. Yeah, right. Okay. But he'd already planted the seed by his behavior change. And so something intrigued her to say, I don't know if I trust you, but if you're not telling a lie, this would be amazing. And on they go. All right. So Aslan, he's the very next part that we need to understand because they go through the door, right? They go through the garden door and they're in this other world take a leap, they take a step in, and they believe, and they're in this other world. And they run up to the edge. They run she, up to the edge. And Jill's showing off, walking along the edge. And, and Jill's walking on the edge, and she slips, and he's he trying to save her, and he falls off himself. Instead. But there's a little bit they miss in the movie. Now, something that you need to know is in the book and i think in the movie they grab hands or they say aslan aslan get us out of here aslan right they're calling aslan's name and that's when the door opens up now in joel chapter 2 verse 32 it says you don't have to put you don't have to go there this time but call on the name of the lord and you will be saved All Right? If you call on God's name, he is listening for you at all times. He wants you to come to him, to ask him for help. When you're in trouble, when you're not in trouble, all the time, every little moment, he wants you to ask for help. And so they're saying, Aslan, Aslan, like we would say Christ. All right? They go into the world, and yes, they're on the edge of the cliff. Now, I'm going to read you a short part here couple of pages as she's on the edge of the cliff right ahead there were no trees only blue sky and then they went straight on without speaking till suddenly jill heard scrub say look out and she felt herself jerked back they were at the very edge of a cliff Jill was one of those lucky people who have a good head for heights. She didn't mind in the least on, on the edge of the precipice. She, would rather, she was rather annoyed with Scrub for pulling her back. Just as if I was a kid, she said, and she wrenched her hand out of his. And when she saw how very white he had turned, she despised him. What's the matter, she said, and to show that she was not afraid, she stood very near to the edge indeed. In fact, a good deal nearer than she even liked. Then she looked down. She now realized that Scrub had some excuse for looking white, for no cliff in our world is to be compared with this. Imagine yourself at the top of the very highest cliff you know. And (laughs) And imagine yourself looking down to the very bottom and then imagine that precipice goes on below that as far again, 10 times as far, 20 times as far. And when you've looked down all the distance, (laughs) as you look down all the distance, imagine little white things that might at first glance be mistaken for sheep, but presently you realize they are clouds. Not little wreaths of mist, but enormous white puffy clouds, which are themselves as big as most mountains. And at last, in between those clouds, you get your first glimpse of the real bottom, so far away that you can't make out whether it's field or wood, or land or water. Farther below those clouds than you are above them. Jill stared at it. Then she thought. That perhaps after all she would step back a foot or so from the edge but she didn't like to for fear of what scrub would think then she suddenly decided that she didn't care what he thought and that she would jolly well get away from that horrible edge and never laugh at anyone nor from the f- nor for not liking heights again but when she tried to move she found she couldn't Her legs seemed to have turned to putty. Everything was swimming before her eyes. What are you doing, Pole? Come back, blithering little idiot, shouted Scrub. But his voice seemed to be coming from a long way off. She felt him grabbing at her, but by now she had no control over her arms and legs. There was a moment's struggling on the cliff edge. Jill was too frightened and dizzy to know quite what she was doing. But two things she remembered as long as she lived, they often came back to her in dreams. One was that she had wrenched herself free of Scrub's clutches. The other other was that at that same moment, Scrub himself, with a terrified scream, had lost his balance and gone hurtling to the depths. Fortunately, she was given no time to think that over of what she had done some huge brightly colored animal had rushed to the edge of the cliff it was lying down leaning over and this was the odd thing blowing not roaring or snorting but just blowing from its wide open mouth blowing out as steadily as a vacuum cleaner sucks in jill was lying so close to the creature that she could feel the breath vibrating steadily through his body she was lying still because she couldn't get up she was nearly fainting indeed she wished she really could faint but faints don't come for the asking at last she saw far away below her a tiny black speck, black speck floating away from the cliff and slightly upward as it rose it also got further away by the time it was nearly on the level with the cliff top it was so far off that she lost sight of it it was obviously moving away from them from them at a great speed jill couldn't help thinking that the creature at her side was blowing it away so she turned and looked at the creature it was a lion all right ooh and there we meet aslan all right we meet aslan there are so Back a rock for right. So, Proverbs chapter number 16, we're going to find out what Jill's problem is. Proverbs chapter number 16, back in the Old Testament. Usually, if you take your Bible, split it in half, you end up somewhere in Psalms, if you're just your Bible text. And it's no, just after Psalms, Psalms, is Proverbs, okay? Proverbs chapter number 16, verse number 18. And wherever we left off, please, if somebody would read Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Oh, imagine that. (laughs) Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. What does haughty mean? Oh, that's wrong. Okay, what does it mean? Um, it means you think when like you're better than other people, and like you are the best. I'm the best, and that's pride and haughtiness. Thinking of yourself as the best. And that was what the girl was doing in the movie. That's exactly what Jill was doing. This was her problem. Even though there she was being bullied by other people. Not getting respect because of her name, which is you can't pick her last name out or her first name, all right? Getting, done, getting treated that way, and yet the very first thing she does when she gets away from them is they treat trust. Eustace just like that. Treat others way you want them, want them to treat you. And she's thinking. I read you that part of the book because what is she really thinking about, Scrub? I don't used to be. Well, he used to be mean, but what's she thinking when she's on the edge of a cliff? I don't care about his pain. I don't care, and I'm better, and I, don't, I don't want to show everybody that I'm better. So pride cometh before a fall. Oh, and she said, well, I don't want him to think that I'm not right. <laughs> right, right. And here is, and this fall does not hurt her. It hurts. It hurts him. Because that's the way pride is. Pride is not all and of yourself. It affects everyone around you. It affects your family members, it affects your friends, it affects all those people around you. So here it is: pride comes before a fall, and never was it truer than as she says, get off of me, and off he goes off a cliff, because he's trying to save her. Man, she me. Right? Was that a mean thing to do? He's trying to help her. Yes, that was pretty mean, but it might have been an accident her. <laughs> well, and here's the thing about it with pride and any sin, we don't see that we're going to hurt people. We just know we want to act this way. She's not going to be told what to do. And then finally, she realizes how tall of a cliff this is and how far away. He's scared because he's white. He's turned white as a ghost because he's looked over the edge and said, get away from there. And he went out to help her get away, to pull her away, thinking she'd not realized it. And what's she thinking? Get away from me. I'm doing what I want to do. I'm going to be told, I'm not going to be told when to get away from the cliff. I'm not a little baby. Pride comes before a fall, right? And so... He gets thrown off the cliff and then there's the lion, who saves him, saves Scrub, sends him right to the place where he needs to be, but Jill's got something else that she's got to do. And now here is Aslan. and This is the greatest parts of the book. Truthfully, any time when Aslan has conversation with one of the characters, it is incredible. The depth in which you get things out. So I'm going to tell you this conversation. I'm going to read you this conversation between Aslan and Jill. After Scrub has been blown away, she comes back and there she is. The wood was so still that it was not difficult to decide where the sound was coming from. It grew clearer every moment and sooner than she expected. She came to an open glade and saw the stream bright as glass, running across the turf, a stone's throw away from her. But although the sight of the water made her feel ten times thirstier than before, she didn't rush forward and drink. She stood as still as if she'd been turned into stone with her mouth wide open, and she had a very good reason. Just on this side of the stream lay the lion. It lay with its head raised and its two forepaws out in front of it, like the lions in Trafalgar Square. She knew at once that it had seen her, for its eyes looked straight into hers for a moment, and then turned away, as if it knew her quite well and didn't think much of her. If I run away, it'll be after me in a moment, thought Jill, and if i go on i shall run straight into its mouth anyway she couldn't have moved if she tried and she couldn't take her eyes off of it how long's that how long this lasted she could not be sure it seemed like hours and the thirst became so bad that she almost felt she would not mind being eaten by the lion if only she could be sure of getting a mouthful of water first. If you are thirsty, you may drink. Those were the first words she heard since Scrub had spoken to her on the edge of the cliff. For a second, she stared here and there, wondering who had spoken. And then the voice said again, If you are thirsty, come and drink. And of course she remembered what Scrub had said about animals talking in that world and realized that it was the lion speaking. Anyway, she had seen its lips move this time, and the voice was not like a man. It was deeper, wilder, and stronger, a sort of heavy, golden voice. It did not make her any less frightened than she had been before, but it made her frightened in rather a different way. "'Are you not thirsty?' said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The, liar dance, the lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her in, or for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will, will you promise not to do anything to me if I come, said Jill? I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she came a step nearer. "'Do you eat girls?' she said. "'I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms,' said the lion. "'It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. "'It just said it.' "'I daren't come and drink,' said Jill. "'Then you will die of thirst,' said the lion.' Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer, I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. It never occurred to Jill to disbelieve the lion. No one could have seen his stern face could do that. And her mind suddenly made itself up. It was the worst thing she'd ever had to do. She went forward to the stream, knelt down, and began scooping up the water in her hand. It was the coldest, most refreshing water she'd ever tasted. You didn't need to drink much of it, for it quenched your thirst at once. Before she tasted it, she had been intending to make a dash away from the lion the moment she had finished. Now she realized that this would be, on the whole, the whole, the most dangerous thing of all. And she got up, and stood there with her lips still wet from drinking. Come here, said the lion, and she had to. She was almost between its front paws now, looking straight into its face. But she couldn't stand that for long. She dropped her eyes. Human child, said the lion, where is the boy? He fell over the cliff, said Jill, and added, Sir, she didn't know what else to call him, and it sounded cheek to call him nothing. How did he come to do that, human child? He was trying to stop me from falling, sir. Why were you so near the edge, human child? I was showing off, sir. That is a very good answer, human child. Do so no more. And now, for the first time, the lion's face became a little less stern. The boy is safe. I have blown him to Narnia, but your task will be harder because of what you have done. So here is Aslan, the lion. What is the first thing she tries to do with him? She hears the stream, she wants the water, she's dying of thirst. Make him go away. Can't you just go away? No answer. That's very rude. But isn't she scared, truthfully? Both, She is, she is scared. And then she says, well, Do you promise not to do anything to me? I'm not gonna promise that. This is a really interesting exchange because this is the human approach to Christ every time. And then she says, you don't eat girls, do you? Oh, I've been known to eat lots and lots of kids, adults, Whole cities and empires. I mean, God has destroyed cities and empires, and not. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I'll have to find another, another river. There is no other river. Well, I guess I just can't drink then. If you don't drink, you'll die. And it's as simple as that. Now, what is this? What is this? This is the approach to Christ. And you think about this this is exactly the way that many people approach Christ. They want the refreshing drink of water. And what is the drink of water? John 4:14 4, John 7:37 and 7:38 Book of John, 4.14, 7.37 and 7.38. It doesn't matter which order you come in. Whoever comes to the first one. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Hold on. Just a second. Let her do the second one. I know. It didn't matter until 7.38. Let him come unto me. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. So, what chapter? Chapter 7, verse 38. Uh, he that believeth on me, and as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Mm-hmm. Rivers of living water. Come to me and drink. And verse chapter 4, verse 14. But any. Water I give them will never be thirsty. In fact, the water I give them will become a spring of water in them. It will flow up into eternal life. So, what is the, dri- the drink in the river? Eternal life. Eternal life. And why is she approaching Christ and asking him, "Can't you go away?" What do people want? They want heaven without Christ. But right? Heaven without Christ is not heaven at all.
1: Correct.
0: It is not. And there's no way to get there without Him. And that's why Aslan didn't move. Because you can't come and drink of that water without me. I'm a part of this. Well, can't you promise then, if you're gonna have to be here, can't you promise you won't do anything to me? I can't promise I'm not gonna do anything to you. And so when people come for the first time to Christ, their first concern is, if I, I can't, I just do this without Jesus? It's just so much easier if I just get to heaven without Jesus. And how do without they do it? Without Jesus, heaven wouldn't exist. Correct. That they want to do it by, haven't I done enough good? Or haven't I done enough this? Or haven't I done something like this? Can't it outweigh the bad things I've done? No. I mean, you're Christ is the bad. only way. And this is why Aslan sits there and says, you can't go without me. You can't drink. Well, if that's the case, then... Don't do anything to me. If you have to be here, don't do anything to me. In other words, I don't want to change. If I've got to drink this water and I know that's what I want and I'm so thirsty, I'm dying of thirst. And that's where humans come in and we are dying of thirst because what is this, the, the water? It says in one of the things, I think it was in John 7. It's the spirit of God. All right? So the water is the spirit of God coming in you and flowing rivers of living water out of you because it fills a satisfaction that in a humankind that cannot be filled in any other way. A thirst that you cannot describe it except I need this. I cannot survive without it. And without it, I am going to die. And Jill says, well, can't I find another river? There is no other river. There's no other way to get this thirst quenched. There's no other way there. There's only one way, and it's right next to me, he says. you got to go through me to get there. And if you think you're not going to be changed after you accept Christ as your Savior, you got another thing coming. Because the whole reason that you're lacking and that you're thirsty is because you have a sinful nature, and you're far away from God, and you're separate from God until... You go through Christ and it gives you a connection to God and the spirit comes within you and begins to change you and says, I'm going to take this in love and change you. Well, if you have to change me, you're not going to eat all of me. You're not going to eat me up. Oh, yes, I am. I've been known to do eat up whole empires. What does he really mean by that? Saving them, like, 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 he, like they all came to him, changing them. changing them. But what, what does it mean if you get eaten by a lion? How much is you coming back? None. None. Nothing. Unless there's dragons. <laughs> <I have family laughs> there, there's you there's nothing to coming animals. back when you're eaten by a lion. Okay. <laughs> no, so their pride. But there's nothing left, okay? But when you get eaten by a lion, when you get taken by Christ, when you drink of the living water by Christ, there will be none of you left. In the end, Christ will change you. He will swallow up who you are. And yet, he will make you more of who you really, truly are. He will take the personality that... He gave to you when you were created, when you were born, those unique things about you, and he will take them and intermingle and mix in the gifts of the spirit and he will make those parts of you effective and loving and kind and take those gifts of the spirit and take those uh, fruits of the spirit and intermingle you and make you the person you were intended to be from the beginning. And will that eat up who you are right now? Absolutely. Good riddance. You want to be eaten up by God. You want to be changed and whole by God. And it will take time. But here it is. And then what's he looking for from Jill? So tell me about the boy. Well, he's not here. He's <laughs> right. He was the better memorizer, which is why he had to have been there. Tell me about Well, no. He fell off the cliff trying to save me. And Why did he answer? Because I was showing off. And that's what he says. Good answer. I want you to know that you were trying to show off, that you did something wrong. And because you did something wrong, it hurt him. But I protected him. He's safe. But your journey will be harder. And this is the truth about sin. When we choose to sin, our life becomes harder. Our journey becomes harder. It does not mean that God leaves us. It does not mean that God says, ah, you fell out of grace, you're gone. It doesn't mean we're unsaved. It doesn't mean we didn't drink of the the living water. It just means that our battles, sometimes internal, sometimes external, that's totally up to God how he does it, it will be a little harder. It does not mean it's not fulfilling our life, because it will be, because we will mess up. And we will do things wrong. And we will have bad habits, and we will not see our bad habits but when we learn to go right back to God, when we make a mistake, you get right back up as fast as you can and try to get back as close to God as fast as you can. Best way to do it. We're going to learn that in this movie, in this book as well, the Silver Chair. It's an incredible learning tool. So what else is left? What's the harder part? What does she have to do? journey and memorize the signs. Memorize the signs. Psalm 119, Gideon's on 11911 and then Psalm, I need Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2. Somebody else. I don't care. Um, I don't care. So as long as it's Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2, and Gideon's got 119, 11. I don't care. Okay. am easy. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of of the scornful. But his delight is the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate Mm -hmm. day and night. All right. So the man who is not scornful, who is not proud, who does not walk in the ways of sinners, who does not take the God... Godly un- uh, ungodly counsel. Okay, that's the person who is meditating on God's word. How often? Always. Day and night. All right. Put that in your mind for a minute. Where are we? One hundred nineteen, eleven. One hundred nineteen, Psalm one hundred nineteen. Verse eleven. So, we're doing anything or worse now? Eh, doesn't matter. <laughs> we just said, read again. Right. So, I'm one nineteen eleven. That word. Statutes, okay, which is your rules. So, God's word, you put it in your heart. Why do you put it in your heart? What does it help you do? Talk to Him. No. Not sin against you. The reason we put God's word in our heart, the reason that we study it, the reason that we memorize it, the reason that we look at it and learn about it is so that it helps us not sin. That is God's remedy. For our sin, not how we get saved, but it is how we work through and walk through our daily Christian lives. And how often do we do it? Day and night. Day and night. Now, what does she have to do? Memorize. Uh, She's got to memorize the signs. And how often does she have to repeat them? Every morning and every night. Every morning and every night. Whoa. Whoa. Old friend. All right. must travel to the city of the giants. That's pretty good. First. Okay, ver, that's your first one is meets up with a friend. First, the boy Eustace sets foot in Narnia. He will meet an old friend. Must greet him at once. And if he does, he will give you good help. Second. Travel to the city of the giants. No, journey. Well, first, north, right? North, right? Till you get to the ancient city of the giants. Which is where we left off. Third, is you will find a stone, and you must do what the writing tells you. Find a stone, you must do what the writing tells you, and fourth, you'll know the lost prince when you see him. He will ask you to do something in Aslan's name. In Aslan's name, all right. Exactly said in my name is what Aslan says. Right, oh, which yeah. is Aslan's As- name, Aslan, right? Yes. So this is what Jill has to do. It's a little harder, which mean she's responsible for something because she chose to sin. It doesn't mean, okay, that, that Eustace isn't supposed to know the signs and you see them fight a little over it. Well, you didn't do the signs. No, you should have helped me do them. No, it was your job because there's their nature, right? Fighting again. Instead of saying, hey, I can learn those signs too and let's do them together. But you find, as you watch the movie, she misses the first sign right away, right? Because off goes that friend. And she says, do you know anybody? Do you know anybody? And why? Well, he didn't recognize him. Because he was an old man. He was an old man. So what happens when we know what thing we're supposed to do and we miss it? Self failure. Well, you fail. So what does God do with that? Is it all messed up now because she didn't get the first sign? It's not. Imagine if she doesn't get any of the signs. It's not. But what is she now doing? Saying, well, it's really important. I got to get these signs. We missed the first one. He doesn't even know what she's talking about, right? Maybe if she had told him and explained it would have been easier. So here's the thing. In your life, as you head on your journey in your life, whether you've made mistakes whether you've not made mistakes, you put God's word in your heart, you think about it, morning and night, put it in your head, make sure that it's there, and God will help you through on those moments of decision. Those struggles that you have, he will help you through. He will even bring those words to your mind in the moments of struggle. And he will help you obey. And you know what? you'll fail again at times. But as you learn, no matter how stubborn you are, as you learn, you will find that they will help you through life. The signs represent the word of God. We have a lot of signs to watch for and a lot of things that we're to be doing in God's word. And that's why as a church, we find it really important that we study follow the word, we look for those signs, that we learn from it every single time. That's why we do Sunday school as something extra, Uh, and we learn right from God's word, and all the preaching comes right from God's word, because he didn't give us other things. He said, look in my word, and I will show you what it is. Now, the fabulous thing is a creative mind like C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Silver Chair, is able to interweave in a story that's unforgettable the concepts of the word and you can go time after time after time after time we didn't get to chapter two and i still had things i could talk about all filled up in those words where he has taken this to plant a seed in us but said, they got locked out of the city, they're not getting in the city. <laughs> and they're worried, and yet, there might be trouble when they get there. Alright? It is not so simple as they think. In fact... And they were already locked out. And, hope, and that lady in the green dress, didn't we recognize her? Where the prince had always been going, she was that exact same lady. And you have to, you get to watch that as a movie, but they never saw her before. So know, they don't know, the know who she is. But so she's them down the wrong path, isn't she? Absolutely. And we have got some very dangerous things ahead. And you will see the battle is real. She's about ready to go on this journey with her friend Eustace. Next time we will see the next part of the journey. And we'll get through up to the place where we are with the movie uh, in a few weeks. And then we'll watch the second half of the movie together. We're at the so. City of the Gentleman.